Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Another day, another week, another episode of The Core Report. Black Broadway presents The Core Report. And you know what we do? We do the news, man, and it has been eventful, to say the absolute least, man. You know, we had to take a couple of days. You know, listen, mental health awareness, vibe checks, that's important, yo. You got to do a vibe check when you know things are going in a different direction. You know, trust your gut, trust your energy. But in the meantime, in between time, be productive. Yo, I just want to say I'm going to put this out there. I put in some paperwork to, you know, apply for grants and some assistance that would really, really help support the growth of this podcast. So if you listen, if you rock with us, man, send one up for us, man. You know what I mean? The family, the show, the community, we all need it, man. But yo, like I said, we're going to get right into it today, man. We got too much news to cover. Everything from, like I said, Summertime Madness. That's this episode's name. That's what it is. Summer Madness from Southeast to Chicago to Lebanon to everywhere. I mean, Belarus, we got it all. We also have a lot of stories. We have a couple of stories about what's happening with our government and what they're planning to do around the very, very critical issue of voting. Voting is incredibly critical right now, and we are less than 90 days away from the most consequential election in American history. We'll talk about it. Talk about money, the way these commercial markets are moving, and of course, we got to break it into sports, and we got a couple other things to bust down too, but let's not even waste any time, man. Let's start where we want to start, man. Let's get into it really quick. The STEMI situation. The government, 45, it's absolute confusion. I swear I feel terrible. This is one time where I have to rescind something that I've actually been very adamant about on this show. But, yo, they did not get it done before August recess, and they don't give a fuck. There are no Fs given at all when it comes down to August recess and striking a permanent deal to rescue the American people in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, Talks have just ceased, outright ceased. Trump is in New Jersey at his golf club. All the senators and all the congressmen, they are home. They are campaigning. They are doing whatever it is that they need to do for their district to make sure that they can keep their steep. Everything else that's going on in the legislative halls, that's dead. So in light of that, 45 decides he wants to be the hero and cape up this weekend and issued four executive orders. Now, When he was a citizen, when he was a private citizen, he was very critical of executive orders. He didn't feel that that was the way that the presidency should be conducted just because Obama was handing out executive orders like Little Debbie Snack Cakes. That's a whole different topic now because this guy is literally signing executive orders from his golf club. So he's taking it to another level. Anyway, he signed four of them this weekend. The most consequential ones are these. He says that unemployment is going to be sustained at $400 per week with the caveat that the states are going to provide one quarter of the cost for this extension of the unemployment. So what he's basically saying is we're not going to budge on our federal 200. What up, Wilson Brothers Armory, man? Family in the building, man. Like I say, yo, if you guys need, you know, we're going to need to address these things sooner rather than later. That's a big resource right there. Wilson Brothers Armory, man. Real talk. But anyway, back to these executive orders. When we talk about the unemployment 
uh, benefits extending, he's only uh, vowing to make it reach 400. So the 600 seems to be a non-starter. That seems to be dead. His second executive order was that he's suspending payroll tax for the foreseeable future, at least until the end of the year. That sounds great. You get a paycheck. The government isn't taking payroll tax out of it. You get more money. That's great. But you know what happens? You don't get a Social Security check at the end of your life, which if you're intelligent like I am, I was never counting on a Social Security check. First of all, I've been an entrepreneur in far too many facets to ever think that I put enough into the Social Security system to get something out of it when I'm in my 60s. Second of all, I do not believe that this government has a sustainable plan to make that a reality for several generations moving forward. Shout out to my grandparents and them, though. They got it. My mom's, hopefully she's going to get hers. But that's ridiculous. Social Security is definitely not a thing anymore. Moving forward with his third, and really, I feel, most consequential one, he tried to say that he will not be allowing evictions. And the interesting thing about that is the language that he used just to say, well, we're going to stop evictions. You know, it's not people's fault. It's China's fault. And da-da-da-da, getting on into this hyperbole. He didn't say that he was going to extend the federal moratorium on evictions. And I mean, if I know what I know, I've been riding around the streets and I've seen some people that look like these were evictions. I've seen some uh, couches and coffee tables piled up on the corner. And, you know, you don't never like to see that, man. You know what I'm saying? Especially when you see a kid stuff, you just it's something that people don't deserve to have to go through, especially in the middle of a pandemic. So playing with people's emotions around that particular topic is extra irresponsible, especially if there's no real action behind it. Now, we'll see what happens this week with the unemployment benefits, because last week, the unemployment benefits definitely were not present. That $600 was not there. That was it. Now, this second week of July, we'll see if there is some type of support due to this executive order. I don't know. Again, I was very adamant about the fact that they were going to go and work this out before August, and I was wrong. I was wrong. We are in unprecedented times. I have not seen it like this before. I've never seen a Congress unable to reach some type of passable moment on a big piece of legislation like this, arguably the biggest piece of legislation ever, and just fumble the bag, literally. So here we are. And like I said, yeah, you know, we are totally in in the middle of a pandemic. And people's biggest concern in the middle of this pandemic at this moment, just at the current time, is schools. Lots of schools all over the country and school districts are playing it right up to the wire on opening up or not opening up. The school districts that have opened up have paid the price. According to the American Society of uh, Pediatrics, 100,000 children have tested positive, and that's just in the last week of July. I don't even know where they're getting these numbers from. Like, how? who's testing the kids? What is going on? Again, according to the American Society of Pediatric um, Physicians, that's what they're saying. And the school that was the target of a lot of controversy that the uh, young lady, uh, Heather, uh, pardon me, Hannah, took, um, Hannah Waters, took a picture in the hallway. There were like three kids wearing a mask. Everybody was in there shoulder to shoulder. Typical high school shit. That young lady got suspended for taking this picture. She had later had her suspension rescinded. However, that school has been forced to close. They're, been clo- they're going to be closed for two weeks for 
cleaning because nine students and staff members have tested positive within that school. So was it really fucking worth it to open up the school? And was it really even worth it to try to suspend this young lady when you knew that all of this was going to get out anyway? It was going to hit the fan anyway. It's ridiculous. A lot of people who had a lot of responsibility in this now, it seems they're they're stepping down. That's a theme. People in big places, big seats of responsibility, now that things seem to be crazily barreling out of control in a lot of ways. Like I said, summer madness. People seem to be stepping down and stepping aside and moving around. We'll talk about that more later on in the show. The California Director of Public Health has resigned, though, just on that note. You know what I'm saying? And in California, there have been over 800 prisoners dead. Pardon me. That's not in California. That's across the nation. 800 prisoners dead. 24 dead in San Quentin prison alone. We've been talking about San Quentin since the beginning of this outbreak because that is one of the epicenters in California, actually. And 24 to date have died in this prison. Thousands infected. Thousands infected. And this research comes from the Marshall Project. They talk about how in in Florida, there have been 60 deaths in the penitentiary system in this whole state of Florida. And most of those deaths were people who were eligible for parole, people who could have came home and not died in jail. This is what happens. But again, the whole this whole thing, summer madness is kind of spiraling out of control. Cuba, back on lockdown. Cuba was one of the places in the world that was dealing with this relatively well. I can remember reporting like a couple of weeks ago that Cuba announced their first 10 days without a single case or something of that nature. Back on lockdown. Paris. Mask mandate all through Paris, France. Got to wear a mask. Ireland and other parts of the UK and Europe are having extreme outbreaks and they blame Americans. They are blaming American tourists and American citizens for bringing this over. And it's just, wow, it's, it's just a whole different level of finger pointing and paranoia going on around there. But like I said, as all of this is happening, the business is booming, the money is moving. It's a it's a wild time to be around right now, man. Uh, in COVID, a lot of retail stores have been forced to reassess, you know, their brick and mortar holdings. And before COVID even happened, I can remember, I don't know, I wasn't doing the show then, but I'm always a news junkie. Macy's was closing several stores, like dozens of stores across the country due to the fact that the department store model just wasn't making them money anymore. People want to shop now actually at more small specialty boutiques. I'm I'm sure most of the people who are shopping can kind of relate to wanting that experience over, you know, bailing through damn Macy's or, you know, four floors of, you know, any department store. It's just not as enjoyable as going somewhere small and getting what exactly you want. And Macy's recognized that, so they were trying to offload this property anyway. COVID comes along, Sears closes, JCPenney's closes. Guess who comes in to swoop in and save the day or, you know, pick the bones, whatever, whichever way you would choose to look at it? Amazon. Amazon has announced plans to take over former retail spaces, you know, all these retailers that they, you know, they're having trouble holding on to these leases. Amazon wants to take them and turn them into fulfillment centers where basically they can either hold product or they can fulfill 
you know, um, orders for people. They can come pick things up right there. It's crazy, man. Jeff Bezos ruling the world, running the world, and we can't stop it. Because who's not ordering shit from Amazon? So let's be real with ourselves, and let's also be very aware about how this whole thing is being consolidated, yo. If you want to have some type of independent business, if you want to operate outside of this, just be aware of what is being consolidated, what's being locked in, because it's a lot. So, again, I could, we could talk a little bit more about money, and I have a very specific story I want to give you about money at the closer to the end when we talk about Kodak and what really happened there with the CEOs and with the stock pump and dump. Crazy thing. All of us are, you know, a little, our pockets are a little bit lighter just because of the games people play. So we'll talk about that. But uh, internationally, man, the United States of America is moving in a direction that is very, very visible in lots of other countries. It's very interesting how lots of the things that are happening in this country are occurring simultaneously in other countries. And if they were, if we were, you know, these countries, or if they had the same amount of political pressure or political influence that we had, they would be saying, oh man, free the Americans. But we're over here kind of trying to pretend like we have some kind of moral superiority over China and what they're doing in Hong Kong. And it's very, very similar to what's happening here. Hong Kong arrests have been made on one of the top, top uh, journalists, top dissenters, top pro-democracy protesters. His name is Jimmy Lai. And he was one of the first people arrested under the new security laws in Hong Kong which basically have outlawed protests. And what's the first place they ran up in and, you know, raided his newspaper, shut it down. So Apple Daily in China, Jimmy Lai, and if you've been paying attention to the whole TikTok controversy and the, uh, what is it, Chat Me, that's the other uh, app. I, I can't remember what it is. It's similar to WhatsApp, but a lot of Chinese citizens use that app to communicate and send encoded messages without the government being able to tap it. And TikTok, of course, is for content which could be considered seditious or considered anti-government, pro-democracy, whatever you want to call it. A lot of craziness there, man. Internet, the technology, that's the next battleground. And they're putting their pieces, they're positioning their chess pieces to be able to cut off any kind of moves people want to make. And China is just the forefront of it. So pay attention to what's happening in Hong Kong. Very soon come. You know what I mean? Another place that is very indicative of what's going on in America or what America could become is Belarus, oddly. Minsk, Belarus. Protests have been, I've reported on this on the show before as well. Protests in Belarus have been going crazy because their leader, Lukashenko, has been in power for literally 26 years. And people are just fucking fed up. People have had enough. People have already came out. The election's just been held. People have visibly came in the streets and have shouted how this whole entire process was rigged. Not just the election results, but peep this. This is a little context for you. The candidate that Lutashenko was running against was actually the wife of a very vocal pro-change candidate. This lady husband was jailed for his views. This man was incarcerated, jailed, carted away for his views. She took up his campaign 
and gained the public support so much that she had a very good chance of unseating this government that had been held in place for 26 years. 26 years. And they rigged the election. The Belarusian people are not fucking having it. They're in the streets. If you want to see that footage, go to democracynow.org. Check it out. It is insane. Like, I'm talking about when you see people showing the power of the people versus some any kind of police, any kind of armed, you know, movement. It's, it's very interesting and very impressive, man, which leads me to, you know, the entire protest movement that's been happening over the past couple of days. We'll get there. I mean, like, I'm just kind of saving that for a moment. Let's get into this, though, real quick. Internationally, also, we've been known to fuck up the environment. We're having fun doing that. Moritis, beautiful place. Beautiful place in the South Pacific. Everybody's Instagram, fly shit, oil spill, pretty much ruined. One of the worst oil spills in the history of oil spills happening currently in Moritis. You know what I mean? And that just shows our... our Lust for fossil fuels, again, taking out more natural wonders of the world. In Venezuela, this is another interesting story that I, I wasn't doing the core report when this popped off, but I've been following it closely. Two former Green Berets are sentenced to 20 years in Venezuelan court for attempting to overthrow the Venezuelan president, Maduro. They came in with a squad of 10. The other eight were killed on sight. I wasn't even aware of this. The other eight were killed on sight, and these two were held, sent to stand trial and were found guilty of attempting a coup in Venezuela, and they alleged that they were, you know, rogue, whatever, but, you know, of course, they had U.S. backing, and they were former Green Berets, so, of course, they had U.S. training. Thought it was sweet. Tried to go and overthrow the government. It wasn't. It's not going down like that. I was, yeah, that was a very spicy little thing right there. And I couldn't believe that, you know, that flew under the radar so much because, you know, this is the type of shit that we accuse other countries of doing all the time. This is the type of, you know, subversion and the type of underhanded foul play and empire building that we accuse the uh, Islamic State of doing or we accuse people who are involved in communism of doing. I'm just saying, you know, anyway. Back in the Republic, uh, the post office is in trouble, guys. I, and, and that makes me really sad because I know a lot of good people that, man, made their life right in the post office. I know a lot of good people, my uncle buddy included, who lived their life, man, got money, retired, all of that, straight up off the post office, raised successful kids, all of that, man. You know what I'm saying? So it's a shame to see what's happening to that institution. What they say on uh, Don't Be a Menace, it's always work at the post office. You know what I'm saying? So that's not the case anymore, yo. The Postmaster General is so much so not the case that the Postmaster General, who we're going to get into in a second, actually fired or reassigned 23 executives last on Friday, over the weekend, you know, in what they call a Friday night massacre, where you do something on Friday night so it doesn't really hit the press on Saturday, because who's paying attention to anything on Saturday or Sunday? And then you got it on Monday. It's able, it's able to happen without a lot of public pressure. That's why people do things like that. 23 executives reassigned or displaced on Friday. The Postmaster General is a guy named Jim Tim DeJoy, and he's a major Trump donor. Before he was appointed as the Postmaster General, he was a major Trump donor. This man has zero postal experience, like zero. 
And the post office is just as serious as the military or any other government institution. You got to know how to run this shit. This shit been running since the Pony Express. This is important. You know what I mean? And one day, the power of communicating through written word, through letters, may or may not be all we have to fall back on. But, you know, that remains to be seen. What's happening right now is that they're dismantling the post office. Uh, There have been extreme delays in the mail delivery across the country, all types of cities. Uh, There's been no overtime. There's been extra routes added for drivers. There's been a lack of staff, a lack of morale, period, in the Postal Service for maybe the last year or two. I've reported earlier on the show about the budget deficit that the post office is facing and how the president and the executive branch have all the power right now And since we've seen money literally appear out of nowhere over this pandemic, there's no way that they can say there's not the money to infuse the post office and make it the best institution, perhaps the best postal service offering in the world. There's no desire to do that, especially not in an election year where people got to vote by mail. It's crazy. But Hawaii pulled it off. Hawaii just changed their governor over to chick Tulsi Gabbard who was at one time uh, a Democratic presidential nominee. She uh, retired from her seat, and the new governor was elected. And, uh, you know, all by mail. It was all cool. It's nothing, nothing strange. Nothing happened. Everybody was all good in Hawaii, man. Puerto Rico is a whole nother story. Puerto Rico actually had to suspend voting over the weekend after the voting polls did not receive ballots. They had not received ballots in the past weekend in order to conduct their election democratically. There's already a lot of upheaval in Puerto Rico about last election, how their governor was forced to resign, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, there's the beef with 45 and the U.S. government over their response to the hurricane and the relief. All of these things just causing upheaval and people aren't able to vote and exercise their rights democratically. You know what I mean? But, I mean, you know, there are still elections. People are still running for elective office. You know how I feel, even as a journalist, I'm not really super enamored with electoral politics. However, I understand them as a necessity. And if people need to be involved, if people feel the need to, you know, contribute to the resistance in that way, it's just best you have the most information you can have. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to uh, Marquita Bradshaw, who won the Democratic nomination for Lamar Alexander's old seat in the Senate. So she's now going to be the Democratic nominee against whoever the Republican challenger is for Lamar Alexander, who was a Republican, but he was also one of the more, if you can consider, liberal-leaning, you know, Republican in name only kind of dudes. So we'll see what happens with that seat, you know, keep your eyes on that. But, uh, you know, protests still go on, man. The protest game is crazy. And uh, as I've always mentioned about the protest game, the protest game is foul because, listen, these people are trying to give you that time, bro. Like, this is not, this isn't a like, oh, yeah, I protested. I'm going to write a letter from a gummy jailhouse like MLK and I'm going to, you know, let freedom ring all day. No, Spam, they're going to have you tied up in court forever, have you paying court fees, and eventually, if you can't continue that, you're going to jail. You know what I'm saying? And it ain't no rights in jail. You know what I mean? You can protest all you want. There's no rights in jail. So at the end of the day, these whole entire, these situations that occur 
it's very important to watch the law enforcement's response to it, and especially on the back end of this. You know what I mean? It's wild because uh, there's been a couple of cases of, you know, the judiciary system just very interestingly in Louisiana having so much power over people's lives. There was one gentleman, he's in his 60s. He was accused of stealing or attempting to steal some hedge clippers from a garage in 1997. Life. For felony life, they, the Supreme Court of Louisiana refused to overturn the sentence. That was it. But then on the other hand, the Supreme Court of Louisiana overturned a dude who was an Iraqi vet. He's 30 years old. They overturned his sentence because he, they sentenced him to life for giving an undercover $30 worth of weed. He made a $30 sale to an undercover somewhere in Louisiana, and they gave this man life. The Louisiana Supreme Court just overturned this sentence today. So only imagine how much sway these people got over your life, man. It's not a good feeling. It's not no place that you want to be. Protests have been ultimately outlawed in Louisville, Kentucky. After all the, uh, you know, arrested killers of Breonna Taylor, shout out to everybody that's on that bandwagon. You know what I mean? That's a real campaign. I'm not even going to say it's a bandwagon. It's a real campaign. I respect that. But at the end of the day, Louisville, Kentucky has made protesting basically in public illegal. They have said that they are going to start arresting anyone walking in the streets of Louisville, Kentucky. So they're not allowing or permitting, you know, they weren't writing permits at first anyway, and they're definitely not going to be tolerant moving forward of anybody marching in the streets. They're saying violators will be arrested and prosecuted. And any car protest, any vehicle change, like that's a popular tactic, especially in Louisville, where they ride past the DA's office, they ride past the governor's office, they ride past the police who did the killings off at, um, homes, and they, you know, honk horns, wave signs, et cetera, et cetera. That's one of their tactics. They're outlawing that. They're saying anybody who's Doing this, vehicles will be ticketed, towed, fined, whatever the case may be. So basically, if they don't say you can protest, you can't protest. But to me, that's the point of protesting. If you go outside with permission, you're not protesting, you're marching. And that's cool, but don't call it something that it's not. Now, if you're outside and you're protesting and you're violating and everybody's getting locked up and whoop-de-whoop and, you know, if that's a tactic, then okay. But to clarify this for, for a quick second, the only reason that was an effective tactic in the 60s is because the members of the SNCC and other civil rights organizations had large amounts of black youth to overrun small county jails in the South to make that problematic for the jailers. Right now, there is not a fucking issue in locking you all up. There, there are enough cells. There are enough handcuffs. There are enough facilities. We got buses. They don't even care. They use city buses. So this whole entire notion of, you know, overrunning the system by, you know, becoming incarcerated in it is a little bit, you know, regressive in my opinion. However, I see a lot of people putting their lives on the line and putting their freedom on the line to express their beliefs or to have the right to express their beliefs. And I respect that. However, it's more important to understand the larger end goal. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's that on that. More into what the consequences have become. In Salt Lake City, 
the uh, protesters who threw red paint on the steps of the federal courthouse, and I believe they broke a few windows or something like that, and, you know, graffiti, Black Lives Matter, whatever, whatever. Those people are now facing life because they have been indicted in Utah under a gang enhancement law. That's right. They said Black Lives Matter is a gang. They're going to put you under the gang laws and, and, and try you that way. So if you really want to come out here and say that you're committing violence or whatever in the, in the name of protesting, then we're just going to put your protest in a gang under the gang law, under the gang statute, and we'll prosecute you in that way. It's very, very vindictive, very, very, uh, very, very manipulative of the system and understanding what people's goals are and understanding how to neutralize those goals. You know what I'm saying? Like, me and my brother Rich, we talk about this all the time. The main thing they didn't want slaves to do was read, all right? Like, all these revolts and all of that shit, that's cool. You know what I'm saying? Burn that shit down. Go, you know, act crazy. We, we got guns. We got, we got ways of dealing with that. A lot of them are sadistic enough that they would enjoy dealing with people in that way. There's a large desire. There's a large swath of the population that desires to do that. That's not the most effective tactic when it comes down to the cub down, unless that's something that you feel confident in winning. You know what I'm saying? But violence is the is the is the wheelhouse of the state. You know what I'm saying? Our deal, education. We get we get the knowledge. We know what's popping. Then we can move a little differently. So anyway, as I said earlier, Chicago is you know always and forever on people's minds, on, you know, the tip of the conversation. Hundreds of looters uh, stormed downtown Chicago over the weekend and began to loot and, you know, I guess, break property, smash up windows in downtown Chicago's shopping district, which is known as the Miracle Mile. I swear, one of my biggest missteps in life is that I've never been to Chicago. Like, that's, that shit is crazy, man. I let the cold scare me away from one of America's greatest cities with some of the coolest black people I know, especially black women. Black women from Chicago is undefeated. Shout out to my homegirl Tia, man. So Chicago is one of those places where, you know, that shit could blow any minute. It's highly highly combustible, a very volatile situation in Chicago. And um, this, this unrest is allegedly sparked by the police-involved shooting of a 15-year-old outside in the streets of Chicago. Now, according to the police, their story is that the person wasn't 15, he was 20, and he shot at them first. But it leads me back to something that we spoke about earlier, which is the volatility of this whole thing about Operation Legend and coming into neighborhoods like you going to start shooting down at the bad guys and shit like that. That's not real life. That's not what the police do. And when they start getting into these confrontations and they start shooting people, nine times out of ten, they initiated it. And the public knows that. So people going to react how they react. But it's wild how Chicago reacted. I didn't, again, I never been to Chicago. I didn't know those bridges lifted up like that. And like, that Chicago was, Chicago's downtown was capable of being isolated in that way. Like, you know, I always think about, you know, New York, like, okay, Manhattan is an island. If they wanted to cut that shit off, like, they cut those bridges and those tunnels off, that's it. You know what I mean? I think about D.C. when you cross that river, that you cross east of the river, if they wanted to trap niggas over there on east of the river, you want to keep them over there, it wouldn't be nothing to it. 
cut those bridges off, that's it. There's no access. And uh, it's wild to see, you know, how Chicago had that same capability. You know what I'm saying? Like, they literally lifted the bridges up. They suspended train service. They literally shut down the city of Chicago uh, to protect property, to protect capital. You know what I mean? That just lets you know. And the police and a lot of other, most other outlets are reporting that these weren't organized protesters, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure they weren't. I mean, nobody really came outside as a, you know, form of retributive justice to break into Tesla's store, even though it's fuck Elon Musk. It's just the, the fact that the matter is, is that, nah, B, that's not what we came out here to do. What we actually, what protesters are on and what their goals are, are very separate from what people who break in into Montclair stores goals are. And that's okay. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes they're the same people, but just different missions. And that's what happened in Chicago over the weekend. And, you know, like I said, Chicago was a powder keg. Shit can blow any second, man. D.C. is a powder keg. Blow any second. And it's about to blow. So you know what time it is. Uh, In D.C., this is local news, let me write into it. The police union, of all people, is suing because of the legislation that Muriel Bowser passed a few weeks ago to have full access, full public review of the body cam footage. Of course, the police union wasn't going to have that. They're suing. So, of course, that will be tied up in litigation for God knows how long, at least until after the election. So don't hold your breath on getting any type of real honest assessment of body cam footage in D.C. for the next, you know, few months to come. The March on Washington, however, with all of these, you know, lofty goals and ideas and so on and so forth, and not for nothing, happened this month, August 20th, August 28th, 1968. So that would be 52 years ago. Man, it was supposed to be happening again and uh, this year. And uh, there are like hundreds of people slated to come, but the guy who's organizing it, I'm not with it. Al Sharpton and the NAN, I just, I, I never have positive feelings about that whole entire organization. Uh, they say that they have thousands of people coming. They have a permit. They have, and the permit was set out in June for thousands, tens of thousands of people, jumbotrons, buses, all of the logistics are there. So we'll see what happens as we get time up to closer to it. But we haven't seen, it's weird that we haven't seen any you know, social media or haven't heard any media presence about this. So, I mean, it's August, what, 9th, 10th? It's the 10th now. I mean, what are we expecting here? You just going to spring this up on us on the 20th? Like, hey, we're doing the mark on Washington. We'll see how it happens. Anyway, as I said before, crazy, crazy stories going on all across the world with these explosions, explosions in Lebanon. In the aftermath of that incredible explosion on the port of Beirut, where literally 27,000 or 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate were just left sitting around in a port and allowed to, you know, meet the perfect conditions, I guess, to combust and create a spectacular explosion in a country that is also experiencing a spectacular economic collapse and societal collapse due to their mismanagement of the COVID-19 epidemic, excuse me. And their populace is very, very upset about that and a lot of other issues, just like the people are here. And the protesters spilled out into the streets. It's ugly right now. There's 
reports of live ammunition being used on protesters. People are definitely being stoned and tear gassed and, you know, riot police moving in very aggressively. This is all happening right after a fucking ground leveling, ground earth moving crater just is left in your port. You know what I mean? And with another explosion today, which hits much, much closer to home, Baltimore. Baltimore experienced a major explosion today right off of Town Road. At least four, maybe five homes leveled. At this moment in time, it's not known exactly how many people are injured or missing or unaccounted for. At least five people were in the house. Two children were involved. There's only one dead reported. People are, the rescuers are still digging through this right now. It's incredible. The cause is believed to be natural gas, a natural gas leak, a natural gas buildup. Ironically, this explosion, this tragedy is happening four years to the day that another eerily similar uh, incident happened in Montgomery County in Silver Spring in Flower Branch Apartments. There was a gas leak and an explosion that killed seven people on this day, on the same day, August 10th, four years ago. So prayers out to Baltimore, prayers out to all the families affected. I can't imagine. Like, the damage was so devastating. I can't imagine what it looked like or felt like or sounded like at the moment that it happened. This was somewhere around 9.54 in the morning when the first call was made and the gas was shut off. Incredible. You know, apartment building in Turkey also exploded. Boom. Up in the air. A gas station in Russia also explodes. Boom. Up in the air. I don't know what's going on. I don't have the answers. I can't really opine on something I haven't really even started to connect the dots on. However, I just know that the abundance of even access to the information in this way and the video has to be able to have some type of not positive psychic effect on the way that the entire country processes or the world processes tragedy. You know what I mean? It's very, very interesting. It's something you should really, really keep your eye on. Uh, yo, college sports. Let's get into the sports real quick. College football. They're... There are so many people, congressmen, the president, all types of officials, elected officials all over the world, screaming, dying for college football to be played by any means necessary. Now, mind you, none of their children play college football. That's, hey, oh, no. But we go to Ole Miss and we're going to root for this team, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, heaven be, heaven, heavens that we would play. Now, that's one thing. The other thing is the amount of money that they're getting off of these student athletes without providing any, any assurances for their safety in the way of insurance, in the way of liability, any of that is deplorable. So just the call for this to be done without the basic level of consideration for the people that's playing the game like that, it just shows you where those people's minds are. However, there's pushback. The Big Ten, and this is the first FBS, or not the first, but the second, because the MAC already, Mountain Athletic Conference, you know, they play out there in Boise, Idaho, all of that, Boise State, all of that. They were like, nah, we're done. We're good. 
suspended the season, along with the Ivy Leagues, along with the Pac-10, along with a few other ones. But we talk about the FBS, the ones that are in the bowl champions, the ones that play for the money. The schools that play for the money, Big Ten is the biggest and the most visible conference to say that they're going to vote. Their members have agreed to vote to suspend the season. They think it's better to push it to spring. Uh, I mean, that's an optimistic uh, outlook on it. But we'll see if that happens. However, there's another faction of college football being led by, uh, not Louisiana, Clemson's quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, who is a dog, by the way. Kid can play. But I don't know what he's on. He's he, he doesn't – it wouldn't surprise me if he had a MAGA hat in the cut. But whatever, Trevor Lawrence. He's saying that, you know, the players need to unionize, which I agree with. But his stance is that they should play, and they want to play. And I know that, I mean, the SEC, I knew that the SEC would, would die on the field before they would come out early and say that they were canceling the season. So I expect this from the SEC. I expect this from Clemson's quarterback. We'll just see what the reality of the situation is, though. We'll see what the reality of the situation is, man. But again, man, shout out to the WNBA. They keep it real all day. I love the Boat Warnock shirts. Getting Loeffler up out of there. It's good. It's good. It's it's a great it's a great trolling. And also the NBA is trolling us with this bubble, man. This shit is like the AAU. It's weird. Like all these people not playing now. People getting hurt, man. I, you know, playoffs about to start. Dame Lillard's talking spicy. It's funny. I agree. I, I'm enjoying that. But we could have had that in a in a summertime tournament, you know, kind of format. Not with this whole big production. Like this is not an NBA season. Like you, whoever gets a trophy, like the, this is not a championship trophy. But whatever, you know, games got to play because advertisements got to run. I definitely watched my first obligatory two, three games, and I, I'm good where I'm at. I, you know catching up on this HBO Max, you know what I mean? But uh, I tell you, man, the city, the city, the city. Got to touch on this. And this is how I'm going to do this, because I feel like a lot of people have come out and, you know, had their big opinion piece about, oh, this, and they shouldn't have done that, and whoop whoop and blah, blah, blah. I, I can say I agree, I can say I disagree. But one thing as a journalist, one thing I do do, and one thing I'm about is getting the facts, finding out exactly what the fuck happened and from as many sources as needed as possible to get the entire story if I wasn't there my damn self. You know what I'm saying? And that's what, you know, investigating and journalism and really sharing news is about. You know what I mean? So, anyway, this whole entire situation that took place on 34th and Dubois last uh Last weekend, you know, 33rd, 34th of Dubois over the weekend. Man, one person is dead. One young man is dead. This is the fact. His name is Chris Brown. He was 17 years old. He has he has one child and he has one on the way. His mom suffering, living through this, having to lose her kid at 33. His mom's 33. You know what I'm saying? And she lost her son. Like, in the streets, at a party in their neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? 21 people in total were shot. Of the 21 people in total that were shot, 11 of them were women. 11 of the 22 pe- 21, excuse me, 
people that were shot at this mass shooting, which, you know, we can't call it that. We could just really, we know what it is in the hood. We know what it is. We know this is irresponsible wielding of guns, but we won't get into that right now. We're going to stay on the facts. 11 of the people that were shot were women. Of the 11 people that were shot that were women, one of those people was an off-duty police officer who was a 22-year-old female who shot in the neck, and she's currently in critical condition. She is among, I believe, several that are in critical condition. I believe most, the majority of the victims are non-life-threatening, and they will recover. Over 100 shots, 100 shots were fired, 100 shell casings were recovered over a, a crime scene that spread over four blocks. Over 400 people were at this particular uh, shindig. You know what I'm saying? 400 are estimated at the, at, the, at the shindig. According to Bowser's regulations during COVID-19, gatherings of over 50 people are subject to fines up to $1,000. Police were aware of this gathering. Like, you know, I believe that the word on the street is that it was flyers out, but I mean, the streets already knew it was going down. The, The police were aware of this through social media. Social media. I was too. I saw the post, I saw those bottles, I said, yeah, that, and you know, we'll see how that goes. I wanted to see the food, because it said food and drink required, uh, you know, out. I was like, damn, they got that much drink, they gotta have the food, the food gotta be on the bill. I didn't see that, I don't know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Police were aware of this through social media. Neighbors and residents also called expressing concerns. The police, according to Chief Newsham, the word that he got from his sergeants and supervisors in the field was they didn't feel like they had enough people to break it up. The police did not feel like they had enough people to break up a block party that had roughly 400 attendees. And this logic, I guess, is based on what? Like, it can't be based on the response that they showed during the protest. However, I do understand the counterpoint there and the amount of civil unrest and agitation that that will cost the community is a trade-off that some officer on the scene decided wasn't worth it. And it probably was the correct assessment at the time. The police are now debating whether or not to find the organizers, the 1K, for putting it together. The mayor is claiming that the block party culture and the whole entire culture of parties in D.C. is spinning out of control. It's spinning out of control. The police's angle is that Newsom the chief of police, and an ANC representative named Patricia Howard Chittams say that all this defund the police and Black Lives Matter shit is the reason all this happened. It's getting in the way. It has neutered the police 
from being able to do their job. And according to Representative Howard Chetham, she says it makes them hard to do what they're expected to do. Those, these are the facts here. These are the facts of the situation. Now, based on these facts of the situation, what about any of this sounds surprising? None of this. It's, I think it's the culture of people wanting to be outraged in the moment and wanting to have these really strong platitudes to stand on and stuff like that. And I understand that we, you know, stop the violence. Yes, absolutely. All of that. But there is an entire culture at play here that produced every one of the facts that I just said about what happened ultimately. All of these things, these contributing factors, the poverty in these neighborhoods, the lack of true adult and older supervision leadership. Listen, I don't know um, Malik as a personal friend or anything like that, but I can say that I had the interview, I interviewed him for a story in the Washington Informer Bridge, and I found him to be an incredibly intelligent and forward-thinking young man, very bright. And I seen what he was, I see the vision. And I understand the desire to have fun and so on and so forth. But if you're just a student of society and the societal conditions that we live in, if you, to use the quote that everybody used, if you read the room, if you just read the room, this is not a good time. This is not a good, it's not a good moment. You know what I mean? And things that happen to exacerbate these moments or bring that to light more, bring that to the forefront, only end up making a lot of well-intentioned people look very shaky in the light. You didn't need that scrutiny. You didn't need that attention. You didn't need it didn't need to be lit. It could be it can be lit. A lot of times it could be lit any other time. Sometimes it just don't need to be lit. That's my opinion. And based on the facts that I have presented here, it was way too lit. If there's estimate, if there was an estimate like just a, a rough estimate of 400 people there, then that's, you know, that's a lot of people in and out too. That much movement, if it's 400 people, it's 80, 90, maybe 100 guns. It's, there's guns around. There are, there's alcohol, there's guns, there's women, there's beef, there's all of that around. And I mean, just saying don't be drama free doesn't equal drama free. I saw a meme. Shorty chick said, "Man, the brother invites seven gangs to the club to the to the party and wonder why they fighting." You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's a and that wasn't. I'm not saying that that was the case here. I'm just saying that social media and the attention and the the desire to do something lit, which we all have a desire to do something lit, but now is not the time, and the consequences. For moving forward, this young man lost his life. This mother lost her son. You know what I'm saying? This officer, this off-duty officer, she's fighting for her life. The 11 young women, like, scarred physically and emotionally forever. The other 10 people who were shot, scarred 
emotionally, physically, forever. Any other kids, witnesses, so on and so forth. Just the, the PTSD from all of that. That's flowing. Cool. We got that. We understand that. But the environment that creates all of that, yo, that's what you are looking to attack. That's what we should be focusing a bit more on. And if you're doing events, you do you want to do events to bring the best out of that particular environment because you know that it doesn't take much to bring the worst out. 20 bottles of Douce would do it. 30, 20, 30 bottles of Douce plus whatever else will definitely do it. That's all I can say on that particular topic. 115 murders, y'all. I grew up in the 90s in D.C. 115 murders is definitely not the worst statistic that I've ever heard, but it's definitely bringing me back to them days of like hearing these super high numbers in the summer about bodies that, you know, could and, and can and oftentimes are one, two, less than that degrees separated from me, man. I just stumbled on the murder and mayhem page today and just was taken aback. Yo, it was, it's too much. You know what I mean? It's like, yo, Chicago, D.C., Detroit, San Francisco, Oakland, all of that, man. Like, the amount of craziness that's going on in the streets, fam, it's not sustainable. You know, again, it's not sustainable, man. And we talk about this all the time on this show, what's sustainable and what's not. What's going, what's winning and what's losing, that's losing. My man used to always say to me, man, we don't talk unless these are money conversations. We have money conversations. And I said, man, yo, I get that. I totally get that. Because if you're not talking about moving in a way that is, and I'm not talking about money in the literal sense. I'm talking about money in the sense of currency. I'm talking about gaining currency. If that shit, if, if our conversation ain't currency, if I can't walk away from that and spend that somewhere else, it wasn't worth it. You know what I'm saying? And that brings me to my final, final story, fam. The stock market, which a lot of people have been, you know, dipping and dabbing and in and out of, yo. I'm always the, the super antagonist of the stock market. I'm always quick to say that this capitalism is cap and it's the fucking problem with everything. However, I want you guys to realize just how deep that goes and just how unproblematic it is for a certain class of people. Over the last three weeks... There's been a lot of volatility with Kodak stock. Kodak stock literally increased 1,100% two weeks ago, right on the heels of an announcement that they were going to receive a $765 million loan from somebody called the U.S. International Development Finance Corps, which is somewhat of a government, uh, a semi-government organization, somebody who had access to that kind of money. And they were going to give Kodak Eastman $765 million to develop COVID drugs. Guys, Kodak, you know what Kodak does. They make film. Kodak has, for my whole life, been involved in the picture business. The most chemical that I ever known Kodak to be involved with was stop bath or rinse when it came to making prints. I've never heard about them involved in pharmaceuticals. However... The day before, the day before this deal was announced, Jim Contienza, Kodak CEO, was offered and gave and was given, excuse me, $1.75 million in stock options. Now, normally, 
That's not really even a big deal. That's a typical transaction in the CEO world, something that's added to your compensation package. You know, nobody blinks an eye. Okay, yeah, you got XYZ million dollars in base pay and you got blah, blah, blah million in stock options. $1.75 million. And the next day, the very next day, those options increased in value fivefold. <laughs> fivefold. Those options increased in value fivefold. 900 million shares of Kodak Eastman stock have been exchanged since this announcement. And one of the major driving factors in their enrichment during this process and during the, the volatility during this process is Robinhood. People piling on on Robinhood and purchasing this stock and enriching Kodak Eastman. Today, the deal was put on hold. The government blocked the deal. No 765. It's, it's done. What'd you say, Chuck? You said using UV could be the focus. I like your creativity there, but it's not that, it's not even that complex. I believe that this is a really, this was a really good pump and dump right here. There was definitely no real will or desire or direction from Kodak Eastman to develop um, a, a vaccine or some type of um therapeutics for COVID, they were just now getting into the game of pharmaceuticals. So they would just be getting to understand this, yo. It's craziness. I don't know. Hey, lots of insider trading, lots of swindling are going. You know the vibes, gang. Look, I got minute 57 here, man. It was a lot of news today. It was a whole lot of news today. I hope y'all got and understood what was going on in the world. And I hope you understand that the stock market is capped, bro. 39% decrease today. Listen, 90%, down 90% from its 52-week high. Pump and dump. Those people got rich, and they got right up out of there. I'm sure the same phone call they got to let them know that the bag was on the way is the same phone call that they got to let them know that the bag was stopped. 900 million shares exchanged since the beginning of the pandemic. Watch your neck. Protect your chicken. Protect your mental. Remember always, as we say, man, things work out the best for those that make the best of the way that things work out. Yo, listen. I'm out here writing grants and proposals and pushing and pushing the envelope, pushing it forward, man. Thank you all so much for your support, for rocking with the show. Appreciate you as always. And we're going to keep this going, man. It's always a vibe check. Even though the summer madness is craziness, yo, check your vibes, check your mentals, do what you got to do, and get back to business, back to Brickland. And we're going to holler. Peace. <laughs>